Well, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, we're going to resume our, our dating series this morning. For those of you who weren't here and are caught off guard and you're thinking where you're supposed to be in Acts, um, you're not as caught off guard as the people last week. Uh, <laughs> because I said I was starting a series on arranged marriages. And uh, that, that threw everybody for a loop there. I am still an arranged marriage guy, though, because I have a daughter now. And... Uh, it just changes the way you think, you know? I'm just kidding. So, uh, so anyway, today we're resuming that series, and um, it's a five-part series on dating. And uh, I wanted to give some extended time to the, to the topic because it's, it's relevant to every area, uh, or it's re- relevant to every person in here, no matter where you're at. You know, singles and those who are aspiring to date, and those who are dating, engaged, fill in the blank. Uh, in a relationship of some kind, it's important to be thinking these things through. These are principles that are going to be directly applicable to you. Uh, those that are, um, you know, past that stage, either they're married, they've run the gauntlet, um, or you have the gift of singleness, you don't desire marriage, and you want to be ex- exclusively used, you know, to serve Christ um, in that in a, in a life of singleness. It's still applicable to you because um, we ca- are called to disciple each other in these things. So. Um, it's applicable really to, to every stage um, of life. So uh, we began the series last week, and we're going to spend some, some of the remaining time. We'll take a break over Thanksgiving while you're not here, um, and then we'll jump right back into the, the last part of the series when you get back. But uh, last week, we basically just introduced the topic of dating, um, and we asked a few uh, introductory questions that set the stage for our study if you weren't here, I'll just kind of go over those real briefly with you, just so you can kind of get oriented. Uh, we asked first, what does the Bible say about the dating phase? Okay, what does the Bible actually say about the dating phase? And we observed that it doesn't really say much. Uh, it doesn't say a whole lot about the dating phase. Uh, it gives, it describes some methods. <laughs> we looked at a few of those. Um, had some fun with that. Um, but it doesn't say much. But it does, that does, the Bible's silence on this topic doesn't mean that it's insuffi- the Bible's insufficient for us in this area, right? Um, the scriptures actually promise to instruct us to live wisely in every phase of life. We looked at different texts on that last week. And it, that's including the dating phase. And so God's provided a, a whole host of biblical principles that apply to, to this issue we're calling dating. And beyond that, we even said that the, the very fact that the Bible doesn't say anything is instructive for us. Remember? We said, man, that's, that's an important observation to make. Um, so what, what can we kind of draw out from that? We, we said, okay, if the Bible doesn't say anything about it, but it does say a lot about singleness and marriage, then we shouldn't create a third category. We shouldn't create dating as a, as a category that's on, on par with singleness and marriage. Um, so it's fine to date, it's fine to call it dating, to acknowledge that something is happening beyond a friendship, but we just got to be careful that it doesn't become like a third category in our, in our minds here. And since there's not a third category, this thing we're calling dating only has one purpose, and we'll talk about that more today, but that purpose is, is to prepare for marriage. Um, marriage has to be the exclusive destination um, for dating, um, and then lastly, we just we just observed that since marriage is is where we're headed, we should give significant thought 
to what marriage is according to Scripture. God created it, and he's articulated what it is and, um, and how to flourish in it. So we need to know those things, or at least have a, a little bit of a working knowledge. And we need to be preparing for, for the increased responsibility that we'll have in marriage if we want to date. And we should be doing that before we date. So, um, so that's, that's just kind of what we laid out last week about what the Bible says and doesn't say about the dating phase. And then we also asked, uh, what exactly is dating? So I wanted to give you guys a kind of a working definition that we'll be working off of, and, and it's up on the screen here. Um, the definition that we, that we articulated last week was that dating is going from singleness to marriage or from friendship to marriage in a way that honors Christ. So we're going to be working off that definition through the, the remaining weeks. Uh, but today, we're moving into our second session. And uh, I've entitled it The Purpose of Dating, or you could say The Goal of Dating. Uh, maybe Reasons to Date, however you want to put that. I think purpose kind of gets, a, gets at the very core of what we want to talk about. So why, why, why should we date? What, what should motivate us to date? Um, what's our goal in it? And we touched on this briefly last week toward the end. But it's such an important topic that I want us to, to devote an entire uh, session to it today. So the purpose of dating. And it's, this topic's important for a number of reasons. Um, we could, I was kind of thinking through them, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all the reasons I think it's important. But you've got to know where you're going if you're going to start a journey, right? It would be it would be silly to drive somewhere and not know where you're going whenever you're you're headed that way. So that's that's the idea. Is where are we going? What's the goal? What's the purpose? And and it we we ratchet that up because and this is important because there's a lot of of potential reasons to date kind of floating around in our Christian subculture. We talked about those a little bit. We just kind of did a touch and go last week on some of these some of these reasons. But uh, I want us to, to ask our first question today around this, around this topic, or around this issue. What are some potential reasons for dating that are kind of floating around in our, our Christian subculture? And uh, I want to revisit them. We looked at a few of them last week. Uh, these aren't necessarily bad reasons. Some of them are, but they're not all necessarily bad. So, to have fun, right? That's a, that's a pretty standard uh, way of thinking about dating. Well, it's just... I, Really, before that, we just make some assumptions about dating, like I'm 18, or I'm 21, or I'm, I'm this, I'm college age, or I'm, I'm maturing, I have these desires, so therefore I should date, right? We just kind of make this assumption that, okay, yeah, I, dating is, is for me, it's what, it's what people my age do. So then, kind of with that, it's like we want to have fun in the dating process, and if you know me, you know I like to have fun, and so I'm not anti-fun, but, but having fun is often a, a big reason that people date, and you'll often hear it said like this, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but... Somebody just goes through a painful breakup, and they say, "Maybe you've said this. Yeah, it was. It's it's over. But at least we had fun." Now, you, you ever heard that? How many of you have heard that? Friends say that. How many of you? Maybe you've said that before. And so it was kind of like, "Yeah, at least at least that happened. At least we had fun. Meaning, at least we accomplished our goal uh, or, or a goal, uh, a reason that we dated. So have fun." Um, to feel loved and desired or, or to avoid loneliness is kind of a way to say it negatively. Um, people often date because they, they want to experience love in whatever that looks like in their minds or they, they think that means. Um, they want to feel loved. They want to be desired. 
Um, and that usually is attended with some pretty, pretty passionate desires to not be lonely, which, again, these things make sense because, as we're going to see, God has wired us, most of us at least, unless you have the gift of singleness, He's wired us for companionship. Um, and even though an unbelieving world recognizes that, and they want to, they want to sort of move toward that companionship. So to feel love, desired, to avoid loneliness. Uh, another reason people often date is to experience intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and uh, the pleasure that uh, that that affords. Now I would say that is a worldly reason to date, uh, and if that's if that's you, no doubt that there that's a that's exciting. And there are those desires placed within us. We're sexual beings by design. That's a good thing. Um, but sinners who are sexual beings is not a good thing. So that the, the desire that's meant to be contained in a marriage gets outside of that and burns everything down. And so, um, but oftentimes people and, and Christians in our subculture are, are motivated to date so that they can experience some, some sort of foretastes of marital intimacy um, in the dating process. And I, I'm going to argue that that's... Not today, but that's, that's a, um, a way that worldliness has really creeped into our thinking there. Uh, another reason is uh, to feel important, uh, personally significant, or, or needed. We kind of touched on that a little bit last week. You, you come into church alone, and you're kind of like, ooh, you know, I should probably be dating, but I'm not. But then you come in with somebody that you're proud of. Uh, it makes you feel more important. Um, Makes you feel significant in, in some, in some ways. Or, uh, especially for the guys, needed or necessary. You kind of feel like justified in your person, you know, because you're there to help this, this lady. Um, some of the ladies can feel that way too, so it's not exclusively a guy thing. So, another, another motivation. Uh, here's a, another motivation that's very relevant in our Christian subculture that people want to get married. And so dating is a path to get there. And we're going to look at that more in just a minute. Uh, to have the potential for a family, right? So dating means marriage, means family. And so there's some deep desires often in single people. Man, we want to, we want to be, we want to have that family. We, you look and see uh, the, the beautiful gift that God gives to people with children and, and those kinds of things. And, and that's desirable and it should be. And then the last thing I'll just say here, there's, there's more reasons, but we'll just say to, to gain security for the future. So this is pretty, uh, and a pretty acute feeling, especially, at least it was for me when I got to the end of my college career, and maybe post-college is like, I'm, I'm not married, and I feel this sort of acuteness to like, I need to secure something for my future here. I need to, to get, get things stabilized a little bit, because it just seems so unknown right now. And so, that became a, a pretty, um, I became aware of that as being a motivation in my heart to want to date and really, and really try to get after the process. So, again, these things are not all, um, all bad. Some of these reasons are influenced by worldly principles, um, like experiencing intimacy, feeling important, gaining security, maybe fun. That could be a worldly thing if that's, if that's superficial, if that's all you want to do. Um, but some of them are, are fine, like the desire to be married, have a family, experience love. But we want to examine these reasons um, by looking at the positive side, the biblical goals, I would argue, for dating. Okay, So this will help us sort of evaluate some of these, these ones we just listed uh, to see 
you know, really the weight of, of what the scriptures say should be our, our goals in this, this process we're calling dating. So that's our second question. What are the, the biblical goals in dating? Now, if you remember from our last week and in our introduction this morning, we said, okay, dating really isn't described in scripture. So, um, so how do we, how do we come up with goals for dating if dating's not in scripture? Well, again, we're kind of backing it out. We're going to look at goals in our, in our lives generally as Christians or, or the fundamental goal. And then we're also going to look at, uh, the goal of marriage to kind of develop some goals for, for the dating process. And so, first thing I'd say is, uh, is the overarching goal must be God's glory. And you said, wait a minute. I thought you said the desire, the, over, the goal should be marriage for dating. Well, it, yes, but we're going to get there, okay? This is really important to establish up front. The overarching goal is God's glory. Now, what do I mean by overarching? Well, if, if you think of like a target, okay, and I don't shoot guns. Some of you do. I don't, but I see targets. So if you think of a target, the overarching goal would be like the entire target, Okay? And the bullseye would be our, our second goal, which would be the pursuit of marriage or, or we're going to say testing companionship for marriage. So that's how you can think about these two goals that I'm going to give you. Overarching goal, God's glory. So if we just kind of think about the goal of our Christian life from 1 Corinthians 10.31, uh, it makes sense that our dating practices should align with that. Our goal in dating should be the same as our, the goal for our Christian life, that God would get glory. Um. So Paul instructs us in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31 to do everything, everything in life, for the glory of God. Meaning, what all that we do, the most mundane tasks to the greatest tasks, are motivated to, to, to honor Christ. To see that He is magnified as a result of our, of our lives. But that actually implies something about you. That you want to do that. Right? That implies that this is, this is actually a desire to, in your life to see God get glory from the way you do things. And so I just want to ask you this question up front. Is living for the glory of God compelling to you? Is that compelling to you? Do you, do you want, is that, is that a, when I say that, are you resonating with that? Like, yes, I want, I want, I want to see God glorified. And then specifically, um, do you want your God to be magnified in the community because of and through your dating relationship? Right? Do you want God to be magnified in the church and in the community that you're in because of your dating relationship? And if you don't, or if you never really thought about that, then why not? So we want to we explore that just for a minute. And so we desire to live for God's glory when we truly come to know God and we experience his salvation. Okay? So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 50. Most of our texts are going to be just touch and go. Um, but I've thought a lot about these, these particular texts. I just want to show you this example that, that a desire to glorify God comes from experiencing his salvation. So Psalm 50, and look in verse 14. The Lord says this, He says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High, 
and call upon me in the day of trouble. That's salvific language. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Notice what he says. I will deliver you. And what? And you shall glorify me. Right? So, here's a sinner, weak and needy, come to understand their sin and their plight and their danger. In this case, in the Psalms, it, you know, it's a believer who is in trouble. He calls out to the Lord. The Lord delivers him, which is another word for save in the Bible. Delivers. There's a deliverance. And then as a result of that deliverance from God, the believer now glorifies God, brings him glory and majesty. And so, magnifies him in, in the world. And some other texts on that you could just write down is uh, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, you see that? It's this call. The, the psalmist is saying, come magnify the Lord with me. And he walks through how the Lord delivered him. And so a delivered person is somebody who wants to magnify God in all they do. Um, we've been brought from being rebels to being friends of God. We, we, our, our eyes have been opened. And so... As Christians, we've come to realize the utter hopelessness that we're in apart from Christ. We've come to realize what we actually deserve for our sin. Um, but we've also come to experience God's radical forgiveness. And we've received Christ's righteousness and we've been set apart by His grace. And in all of that, we come to find out what's completely His doing. So, we weren't smarter than this, the other, the other people in our class who weren't. It was just one day we were hearing the truth and it made sense and we, we repented and we trusted Christ. And the only reason you did that is because God opened your heart to do that. So everything, everything that's taken place has been, been from God, by God, and our eyes have been opened to the beauty of the King now. Now we want the world to see His glory through our transformed lives. And that includes Him getting glory from the way we date. So if this isn't on your radar and you're like, nah, I don't really, that's not really motivating me, then you may just be you've forgotten the fact that God has cleansed you and, and set you apart. Or it may be the fact that you've never truly appropriated that in your own life. So either way, we can talk through that and repentance and faith in Christ is the answer. So it doesn't matter, just trust Him today as a result of that. And but again, we can help you work through that. And I just want to explore this a little bit more. If His glory isn't our highest goal, it reveals that something else is. Something else is in our hearts above Him. If we want something more than to please Christ, it reveals an idolatry. Okay, That's the word that the Scriptures use for this. It's a false God, a God substitute, something that we're putting our hope and trust in that's going to fail us ultimately. It's dangerous and devastating for us. And so... It's someone or something else that's Lord in our hearts. Someone or something that's calling the shots for our lives, is another way to put it. And usually it's us. We want to please ourselves. We want to do it our way. We want to to call the shots for our lives. We want to trust in our own wisdom and be wise in our own eyes. And even Christians grapple with this. This is not, this doesn't mean you're an unbeliever if, if you're wrestling with idolatry and trying to repent of it. This is called sanctification. Um, it's, it's the process of growing more like Christ and realizing His Lordship in every area of your life. And so, uh, but we just want to be aware of this, this idolatry if it's in our hearts. And, and here's, here's why I'm starting with God's glory, guys. Because a dating relationship or the desire for marriage can often be an unchecked idol in our hearts. Write that down. A dating relationship or marriage 
can often be an unchecked idol in our hearts. It's so important to say that. Because if we just came in and said, okay, the purpose of dating is marriage, and we start exploring that, we might let that idol go unchecked. And that would be a dangerous detriment to our, to our souls. And so what ends up happening is we trust in someone of the opposite sex to ultimately provide for our needs and, and, and our desires, and we worship them. We start rendering what's, what's only supposed to be to God to this other person or this idea of marriage or this hope in marriage. And we're willing to start sinning to, to fulfill that, the, those desires and cravings in our hearts. And so just to put a little shoe leather on this, um, I'm just, I, I want you to hear what uh, the idolatry of marriage might sound like. Statements that are made to where this, is, this may indicate someone is, is idolizing marriage, okay? And I've been here at different points in this. And the reason I'm writing these things is because I, I, I've worked these things through in my own heart, okay? I'm terrified of being single the rest of my life. I can't live with loneliness. Marriage would fix my craving for complete. I'm incomplete without a spouse. I'll never truly be happy until I'm married. Or how about this? I can't control my lustful urges without a wife or a husband. I'll never be ultimately satisfied or gain victory in this until I can express my sexual longings with a spouse. That's what idolatry sounds like. I won't be satisfied in life unless I have children. I can't imagine living my entire life without ever having a family. Once I have children, I will finally realize my purpose here on earth. I can't really grow unless or maybe until I'm married. Or I can't grow as well or as fast until I'm married. And no, nobody's going to actually treat me as a real adult until I'm married. Or something like this. Maybe you're single and this just might be a, a, a temptation. I can't believe that, that, that person X is dating person Y. You know? Why does, why does he or she always get asked out? Like, and not me. So there's envy, jealousy. Those are, those are revealing that that there's this craving, this, this idol that's on your heart, and it's, it's marriage or a marriage relationship or a dating relationship. And so, if that's convicting for you, if you think you might be idolizing marriage, there's tremendous news. I'm not saying this to pummel you, okay? If the Lord's putting His finger on this, it's, it's so that you can turn from that. There's tremendous grace. Because marriage can't deliver like God can. Okay? Marriage cannot ultimately deliver you. Marriage cannot provide for those things you crave for. Only God can. And that's why we're calling it idolatry, because it's a false hope. So, we want to help you trust exclusively in the God who created marriage and be working on putting that idol to death and letting Christ reign in your heart here. And so, when God's glory is our ultimate goal in dating, it puts everything else in its rightful place, doesn't it? kind of aligns everything. It's sort of our plumb line for the whole dating process. We're truly worshiping Christ when we want to see Him honored in our lives and we'll work to bring our dating practices under His Lordship when this is our ultimate motivation, our ultimate goal in dating. So if that's the big target, how do we think about the specific target, the specific goal? I would say it like this. I would say the specific goal of dating 
is the testing of companionship. The testing of companionship for marriage. And this just means that you're, that you're dating to explore whether companionship in marriage is something you guys should pursue with each other. Okay? It just means that you're dating to try to find out or see or explore whether companionship in marriage is something that you guys should pursue with each other. But that kind of brings us up to another question. If, if companionship is our goal, then we should know a little bit more about it. Uh, we've got to know what we're pursuing, right? Kind of what's the specifics of this goal that we're, that we're aiming at, and then how can, we, how can our dating practices be shaped by that? So what is companionship? What is companionship, if that's what we're supposed to get after? Well, I've written down a couple things here, and again, I, I, I sort of said this last week, but I'm planning on putting together a PDF of all of this material plus other resources for you guys. So don't feel compelled to write all of this down. Feel free to write it down and think about it, but don't feel compelled to. So what is companionship? I've written out a few things here that will help guide our thinking. Generally, a companion just means close friend. It just means a close friend. And we'll see this in Psalm 55, okay? Psalm 55, David's talking about a friend that betrayed him, okay? And uh, in, in verse, I think this is uh, kind of 13, 14 in the bottom paragraph here, he says, it's you, this guy who betrayed him, is a man, my equal. Notice that this, here's the phrase, my companion. And notice what he says here, my familiar friend. So it's in parallel to companion, so companion is what the ESV translates as a familiar friend. All this means is that, uh, really in the Greek, is that one who is known. Uh, one who is known intimately. So in the ESV translates this, a familiar friend. So there's an intimate knowledge with a companion, right? Um, and notice what else happens. There, sweet counsel. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throne kind of toward toward worship. And so it was intimacy... Uh, counsel with one another, just a really an intimate friendship is kind of the idea of a companion. Um, this word is uh, is used of the marriage partner in several texts, and those are some of those texts. Proverbs two seventeen is the same word that was used in Psalm fifty five, but Malachi two and Song of Solomon five use two different words, but still the same idea. Friendship is the is the core of this thing. And so, uh, you can turn in your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 1. This is really where we're, what we're going to look at to explore this, this idea of companionship. Genesis 1 and 2 are, are really fundamental for our thinking in so many areas. Uh, but one in particular is, is the marriage relationship. We're going to draw out some specific things from, from Genesis 1 and 2 here. So, if a companion means friend and the spouses are called companions for each other, um, we want to develop kind of where this all began. Okay, where, where did this all begin? And, and draw out some, some observations really from, from Genesis 1 and 2. So, we could say from Genesis 1 we see that, that men and women are made in God's image. Genesis 1.27, look at that. So, the last day of creation, uh, mankind is created, and man is made, it says in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, 
Men and women are made in God's image. And this implies then, men and women, husband and wife, that the marital companionship exists for God's glory. Now that seems like a jump. How did you get there, Clay? From just saying they're creating God's image, male and female, to being for God's glory. Well, they're told to multiply and increase increase in children, and that's going to increase essentially God's image, God's likeness on the earth. They're going to rule for God in place. We'll talk about that in just a second. But as God's image multiplies, His glory fills the earth, right? And so that's one of the fundamental aspects of being made in the likeness of God Himself, is that we, we demonstrate to the world of what God is like. And so our marriages then... Companionship in marriage exists for God's glory. We're made in His image. And then if we kind of keep exploring this, this paragraph here in Genesis 21, 26 to 28, we see that men and women are, are called to subdue or rule the earth for God, to multiply God's image through children. And this implies that marital companionship is aimed at fulfilling God's mission. Right? Marital companionship is aimed at Fulfilling God's mission. So God has a mission for Adam and Eve. And we don't have time, but I would, I would, if we had the time, develop through scripture how this mandate to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion develops through the, through the Old Testament into the New. It's fulfilled in Christ. And now we're fulfilling that in our families as we make disciples. So we marry, we bear children, we disciple those children, and then we also make spiritual children. Um, we're being fruitful and multiplying. We're increasing the glory and the knowledge of God through making disciples. And so my only point in saying that is that companionship has a purpose, and the purpose is to fulfill God's mission. Does that make sense? All right. A final, uh, or a couple more implications here. The marriage relationship is described as, as becoming one flesh in Genesis 2.24. They were naked and unashamed. He left father and mother, you know, become one flesh. Kind of the idea. And this implies that companionship is an intimate union, not just in sex, which that's, that's clearly the case, but it's an intimate union in thoughts, in goals, plans, efforts, and bodies. And again, it's around God's mission. So it's the intimacy in these things, uh, in your thoughts, your goals, your plans, your efforts, your bodies. And that's what, that's what companionship and marriage is. And it's an intimacy around these things as it's, as it's fulfilling God's mission. And then if we keep going, we would see that the woman is described as a helper. Um, and literally, the phrase would be, uh, it says in the ESV, a helper. Uh, um, what does it say here? Genesis 2.24. 2, uh, fit for him, I think. A helper fit for him is the way the ESV translates that. We could translate it like this, a helper like his opposite. A helper like his opposite. Meaning she's different than him in some fundamental ways. She is um, complementary to him. So there's certain ways he's limited. It's not good that man's alone. So man can't, in this in Genesis 1 and 2, can't fulfill the mission of God apart from a wife. So he's limited. So he needs a woman to come alongside to help fulfill that, that mission. And this woman is like his opposite. And this implies, number six, that a marital companionship is complementary. Complementary. Meaning husbands and wives work together 
fulfilling complementary but harmonious roles. It's beautiful. Okay, it's 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 a beautiful thing. It's, it's like the the melody and the harmony coming together, working together in a song. And so I'm just trying to give you some flavor of what this companionship is, uh, according to Genesis one and two. And so, if I could summarize it, just kind of bring it all together for you. I would say it like this. What is companionship? Companionship in marriage is a deep, intimate, and unified friendship. Friendship is the core. A deep, unified, intimate friendship where husband and wife work together in complementary ways for God's glory and mission. That's so much more profound than just having fun together. Right? Now, there's fun in there, for sure. There's deep joy there. But that is what God, how, why God has created marriage and what it's all about. That's, that's companionship in marriage. And so, if we're dating, then, we should be testing whether or not companionship with this person is a good decision. And that's what the dating process is all about. And that leads us to our last question. Okay, last question. What do we mean when we say testing companionship? Sounds kind of like an exam. Uh, <laughs> here's my companionship questions. Could you please fill these out and have them submitted to me by Monday? No, that's not, that's not what I mean here. Testing companionship. What do we mean by, by that? Well, don't overthink it. All we're saying is, okay... Our dating relationship should have a purpose, and it should be to see if if this is a good idea. Marriage to this person. So well, let's flesh out good idea. Let's, let's, let's flesh that out a little bit more, okay? We would be testing to see if companionship with this person is permissible. Permissible, meaning it's not sin for me to do this. What, why, would, why would it be sin? What do you think? Unequally yoked, right? Which is just the biblical way of saying they're unregenerate. They're not a believer. And so, the reason I tagged this little text here is Paul's instruction for, um, for widows, younger widows. Whenever they're, or just, I think it's just a widow. I don't think it specifies younger or older there, but they're supposed to be remarried, um, if, if they have the desire to, if they want to. And he gives this caveat. He says she can remarry whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. And then there's the unequally yoked passage, which he's mentioned, which goes beyond just dating. We're talking about our, our relationships with unbelievers in general, um, that we shouldn't share a close, intimate fellowship with them because of, of the danger of being influenced. So, yes, so testing, with, testing to see if companionship with this person is permissible, meaning are they a follower of Christ, genuinely? Do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, even if in small ways? Are they humble? Are they repenting? Are they trembling at God's word? And do the elders even recommend this person? They think they're a good candidate for marriage. You know, is this person permissible? Can they, are, are, are they a regenerate follower of Christ? And do you have good reason to believe that? So, that would be kind of out of the gate. And hopefully you're not, I mean, if you're dating in the church, that's helpful because you probably know that already before you even start a dating relationship. But I want to throw that in there. Just That's so important. Uh, a second kind of aspect of, of testing companionship is testing to see if companionship with this person is desirable. Okay? 
is desirable. So, if you're a believer, do you enjoy the friendship that you have? Don't over-spiritualize this thing, guys and girls. Okay? Do you want to be with this person? Are they easy to talk to? Uh, do you cultivate companionship kind of naturally, like the, the non-sexual kind of companionship? Just the, the day-to-day life on life, is that easy? Is that fun? Is that desirable for you? Um, and then, do you find this person attractive? Look, that's, a, that's implied, I think, in the Genesis 2 companionship. There's nothing cool about coming up to a girl and saying, I, you want to date? I don't find you attractive. It's like, that is dumb. You know? And I get, I get that attraction can grow over time. Just ask Mary. <laughs> I'm meaning her to me, guys. Her to me. Her to me. Okay? Keep tracking. She progressively grew attracted to me. Uh, so, that was a joke, not in my notes. So that's what happens whenever I get off script. So those things, those things can grow, and I'm not saying you make that the ultimate determining factor, but like that needs to be part of the equation. Okay, testing to see if marriage is, is desirable to you. Do you want to do this? Okay, and then lastly, just testing if companionship with this person is wise. Is wise. Now, I didn't put a scripture text on that one because there's too many. All right, and we're going to explore that more in future future texts. But the scriptures are very clear about who not to marry. Okay, the kind of characteristics you want to stay away from. Very clear about what to be looking for in in a spouse, what to be cultivating in your own life to be marryable, and not to be a threat to another person. So those are all things we're going to look at actually next week. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's our next week's topic, and so just but just typical questions. Um, do each of you demonstrate growth in Christ likeness in, in in this in Christ-like character? Do you each understand marriage and the roles that you're going to be accepting in marriage? Does each set of parents approve? Do the elders approve? Um, now the parents thing, you know, if you've got unbelieving parents and there's some misunderstanding, you might have. To, there's a lot of wisdom that's got to be applied there, and a lot of patience. So. Do you have, have you talked through cultural, ethnic differences and, and how do your spiritual giftings align? Uh, what do the wise people in your church think about the relationship? There's all those kinds of, all those kinds of things to determine is, is companionship with this person wise? Um, and so that's the beauty of dating in a church is because elders, leaders, family even can come around you and say, um, okay, we're going to give insight here. We're going to contribute. So, those are essentially our questions to determine the, the purpose of, of dating. And so if we can boil it down when we say, what is the purpose of dating? I would say it like this, this little subtitle here. The purpose of dating is to pursue God's glory as we test companionship for marriage. We'll be pursuing God's glory as we test companionship for marriage. Now that's, that's important. Um, that we say it that way because, and not merely just getting married is the is the goal of dating. Because think about this: if a dating relationship fails because somebody was faithful to Christ, that's not a failure, right? That's a great thing in terms of if if you end a relationship because you want to be faithful to Christ, that's a win. Okay, in the Christian life, and God's going to honor that for sure. 
And so I hate the fact that it implies that, that somebody breaks up, that, they, oh, that was a failure. You know, like, try again next time. You know, it's just like, yeah, there can be sinful reasons that people break up and a lot of pain, and this, I'm not minimizing that. I've been through those things. But um, a breakup could be, could be under the glory of God, in other words, what I'm saying. And it also implies if marriage is the end goal exclusively, like just marriage, that, that any kind of relational pain is to be avoided at all costs. Right? It might kind of imply that. But God uses relational pain in our lives. Uh, he can grow us. And I'm not trying to say, look, you guys should all break up so you can grow. Not what I'm saying. But you shouldn't avoid that at all costs. It's like, if marriage is our goal and it's like, only to date one person, yeah, is that ideal? Does it guard your heart? For sure. But if you break up, like, it's okay. God's going to grow you through that. And He's, He's, He's in control. Uh, relational pain isn't the end all be all. And again, like I said earlier, it's just, if, if marriage is the, is the, the solo goal of dating, it may not unearth the idolatry of marriage that could be latent underneath, underneath that. Does that make sense? So we want to make God's glory our goal, and then the specifics of that is, is testing the companionship, the wisdom of the companionship in the, in the dating relationship. So, I'm sure that opens up a can of a whole lot of other questions. Um, and we'll just, we'll try to keep answering those. If you have them, ask me. Um, Next week, we're going to be looking at the, the character, uh, cultivating Christ-like character and preparing, how to prepare well for a dating, for a dating relationship, for marriage, um, what things need to be in your life. Uh, we're just going to look at the scripture and some basic things, not, not you know, the fruit tree of Proverbs 31, okay? It's like basic. What, what are some basic things in our lives that we need to be cultivating? And uh, how do we do that? And, uh, you know, following weeks we'll look at the dating process. So what should, you know, how do I go from friendship, what is a, what is from friendship to marriage look like? You know, it's not arranged, that just doesn't just happen one day. Okay, so there is development. So what does that look like? We want to talk about that and, um, give you some insights. So, then we'll wrap it all up with, uh, with Rich Brown, the guru, who will answer all of our relationship questions. Okay? Thanks for listening guys, let's pray.